I want to play a game. What are the eight unbreakable rules for running a business? We see on social all these overnight success stories, you know, hey, I had this idea last weekend and now I'm, you know, I'm a six-figure business. Yeah, and I think it's all bull, to be frank. I've worked with a lot of people online that have done well and they may have made it in a weekend. They typically blow it in a month and then they can't figure out what they did that worked in, in the first place. Don't let it be game over. You're going to need to carry on listening as I'm joined by Sean Castrino as we're making conversations about business rules count. Are your potential customers falling into a mousetrap? That's not the right kind of game to play. Customer experience is everything. And when it comes to how you handle those initial inquiries through your marketing, don't let it be a pure digital journey. The human touch needs to come in. And that's what Sean and I are talking about in this conversation. We go back to an old saying from a past guest where we Buy local, think global. What do you think? What's the number one rule that you're guilty of breaking right now? So I know that you have got several books under your belt and you're also a podcast host of a 10 Minute Entrepreneur. I don't know how you can get anything covered in 10 minutes personally, but I'm sure oh, you must yeah, for the yeah, amount of yeah, episodes I, you have. Yeah, I have a system about it, yes. <laughs> and I know that your latest book is The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. Now, as a girl that's not very hard and fast on rules, I do believe in boundaries. I do think that we do need to have a framework in place. Out of those eight, which is the one that we must never break? I'd say nearly all of them. Example, if you start with a bad idea that's not vetted, it doesn't matter if you do the other seven. It's still a a bad bad, idea. A bad idea is a bad, you know, I always say like, I love partnerships in business, but you know, a partnership with a bad idea is still a bad idea. And a great idea with a bad partner, still a bad idea. That's why they're unbreakable because I think if you, you know, at least six of them, you probably would be in trouble if you mess up with them. So in terms of the, what, what your mission is now for, for business startups, clearly what you've learned over the last couple of so decades yeah. has led you to, to want to share the insights that you've had. What would you say brought about that mission to share what you, what you know? I just realized that you know, failure is best heard through a secondhand story and a heck of a lot cheaper. So if you can just, you know, example, if you're getting ready to go down a walking path and there's a fork in it and a person in front of you goes, hey, you don't want to go down that path because there's a tree down already. So you go this way. Well, that's probably very helpful to know. Didn't take that person a long time to share that little bit of information, but it probably maybe saved you a few hours or whatever the case may be. So to me... you know, I'm cognitive of things that worked. I'm cognitive of things that didn't work. So being able to share and or pull that information out from other entrepreneurs to me just, you know, was, just made good sense. Yeah. Would you agree that we all have these great ideas, 
okay, some might be bad yeah. or with bad people, whatever. We've established that. But when you do settle on a, on a great idea, one of the biggest challenges I think that entrepreneurs have is not necessarily that that idea, it's the deliverable in that idea and the processes and the other people that they may need to get on board to help them deliver that because running a business is not simply, here's my thing, here's my idea, buy it. Yeah, no, the, there's quite a few, you know, there's three parts of every business. And if you fail in any one of the three, you're going to be out of business. And one of them you just mentioned, which is the fulfillment part, you have to deliver, produce whatever it is you're selling. And your ability to do that will dictate whether you stay in business. So you know, that's why there's, a, you know, one of the un, eight unbreakable rules is your your business plan. What What is it going to take to attract customers, sell the customers, and then provide what it is you have agreed to? And then what does the service end on the back end? Is there a warranty, customer service, et cetera? You got to cover all of it. Thing is just, that's great and that, that's important, but that just gets the ball rolling. You know, now we got to play the game. I know that you're quite hands-on with entrepreneurs. What type of products and services are you seeing entrepreneurs looking to make their living from? Are you seeing trends? Well, I mean, obviously software is like popular only because, you know, if you create it once, you know, you can make money forever. And it, and it sounds good, but my brain doesn't get around that. So it's, it's a moot point. You know, you can make money. It's really simple. I mean, all you have to do is have something that somebody wants, needs, solves a problem, or entertains them. I mean, there's your four biggest areas. I mean, the, the business, you know, if it's something somebody needs, toilet paper, paper towels, gasoline. Okay, you're winning. That, that's, that's a good thing. If it's something somebody wants, that's that's the next level. That's a Rolex watch. That's a Lexus. That's, you know, I desire that. Sandals vacation, Walt Disney World, you know, something like that. It's the next level. So then you have a want. Then you have it solves a problem. That can be pharmaceuticals. That could be, you know, anything that just has a, you know, helps you sleep better, you know, back pain. You, you can go all the way down the line. Just, just solves a problem, allows you to do something that you struggle with or you haven't been able to do. And that could be service companies from repairing your car to, you know, cleaning the gutters. So you have that solves a, solves a problem. And then you have entertainment. I mean, we see that on, you know, obviously with YouTube and, and social media and all that, if you can attract eyeballs, you have a mechanism to charge for marketing. Cause if you can get eyeballs, then there's people that will pay for those eyeballs. So the, generally they're the, you know, the four areas if in its most simplest form that good ideas tend to stem from. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's that sort of education and an entertainment blend, isn't it, that, that helps propel? Yeah, I mean, definitely from the social media stand, standpoint of it. I, but I think, you know, their basic businesses work in the most basic form. I mean, things break in people's houses every day. Things break on cars every day. Robots, AI, and software cannot fix any of those. Amazon cannot fix any of those things. So, you know, I personally like businesses that doesn't compete with artificial intelligence, software, and or Amazon. Because I like to me, you know, there's always the next best thing. You know, there's always something where something was really good five years ago and it doesn't exist today because there's a better mousetrap because it's such a big market. There's so many people competing in that, you know, that want to create that great mousetrap. 
it's all what you, what you feel comfortable doing, but you know, it tends to, it's like winning the lottery sometimes with those type of businesses. Like one person, yeah, did great, but where's all the other ones that, you know, fizzled out or didn't quite make it and put a ton of money trying to do it. There's also the amount of time that it takes for you to then measure and say, hey, this is a success because, you know, we see on social all these overnight success stories, you know, hey, I had this idea last weekend and now I'm, you know, I'm a six figure business. Yeah. Um, and I think it's all bull to be frank. To yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I've worked with a lot of people online that have done well and they may have made it in a weekend. They typically blow it in a month and then they can't figure out what they did that worked just in, in the first place. Yes. Yes. It's building that sustainability in business, isn't it? You know, that's got longevity. Absolutely. You know, it's, you know, what you're selling is somebody going to want it 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, you have to think, you can't guarantee that, but you have to think. And then if you don't, and if at any point you don't think, Somebody might be interested in either buying it the way you're currently selling it in America. That would be like retail stores like Sears and JCPenney that are no longer around. Okay. So people wanted to buy what you had, but your mechanism of selling it no longer became the most ideal online, et cetera, became, became better. So you always have to be looking into the future and saying, is what it is I'm selling going to still be wanted and needed? Number two is the way that I'm selling it still going to be the most preferred method. And this would be like a blockbuster video as opposed to Netflix. No, but things come in and out of fashion, don't they? You know, even stores are seeing a revival because they want people are missing the experience. We've gone, you know, a, a period of two or three years of, of not really wanting to go into store and see people or try things on or see how how it fits for size. And now there's this, we're seeing certainly in the UK, there's this footfall of people, you know, wanting to go out and, and touch it and see what it's like in real life. I think we took, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, I, and it's funny because I went to a, like a, a arts and crafts festival with my wife yesterday. Not my thing, but it was like, honey, if you want to do it that time. So we go and you can see the energy in people just being outside and being able to touch products and all that. So I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think if, if, if shopping centers and stores create a great experience, that goes back to entertainment. Shopping can be entertainment. If you create a great experience, a great store, and people like that, you solved a want and an and you've tied it to entertainment. So yeah, I, th I definitely think stores can work in the right location with the right products and the right experience. In your own experience, Sean, with your own business, where you're helping your customers, where do you find that you need to be hanging out yourself? What has that journey been like? Home services is where I've made the biggest chunk of my money. And now digital marketing, we, but in, in both of them, they're service companies. We physically get in front of people that buy from us. So that personal interaction, you know, providing the hands-on buying experience, customers like to ask questions and they don't like to do it in a chat window. Mm. You know, like we know that somebody's just feeding us answers that are already pre-recorded and we never quite get what they want. If you've ever called customer service and spoken with a human being that speaks like you do and can answer the question, you, we know the value of that. That will supersede any level of technology. So that if you can, if you can provide that, that is still the preferred experience that, that I believe customers want. Can somebody help me make this process easier? 
you know, make me help me understand it, help tell me how to use this better, tell me how to assemble it, whatever the case may be, there's always going to be a demand for that level of service. I was having a conversation with quite a big company only last week, and we got into the what your sales cycle looks like and feels like. How how is it driven? And a lot of it was very digitally led with, you know, inbound inquiries, which is great if you've got an absolute feast of those. But a lot of them were handled digitally once they'd been received. And my question to them really was, well, where's the human element that is going to take, you know, 20% up to... 40. Yeah, I would be curious how many how many leads they lose soon as people realize it's going to be a completely digital interaction. Yeah. I, I would love to know that number. I'd love to beta test that against a human being interacting and seeing the the sale ratio because yeah. they may the only problem with theirs is they've got to have a million interactions to sell a certain amount where they may be able to only have to have 10,000 interactions to sell an equal amount if a human being is somewhere involved in that process. The questioning sort of deepened in as much as the the reason that they were going that route was to not want to scare off a prospect or a customer too soon, to feel too heavy handed by giving them a call or, you know, being able to offer a, a video chat. And I just sort of challenged them and said, well, I think that just kind of depends how you introduce yourself, doesn't it? Absolutely. You can bridge that gap, you know, at at this, you know, I don't know necessarily their product line, how I do it, but human beings are happy. There's a difference between being sold and providing information. Yeah. If somebody jumps on and they're heavy handed with the selling part of it, well, yeah, that might be a turnoff. But if somebody is involved in it and trying to provide help, that's dramatically different. Absolutely. As much as selling is a term, the further we get away from using that term in business, I think the better we do in delivering our our business services to people. I mean, selling is providing enough information to give somebody what they need to make a choice on whether to buy your services. That's all you're doing is you're just constantly trying to clarify, communicate value, you know, give them some certainty confidence. I mean, that's all you're doing in the selling process. It's just kind of knocking down those walls that are preventing them from buying. Do you see a single common mistake that entrepreneurs make when it comes to that part of the business cycle, Sean? I mean, I think in, in selling, I think too many entrepreneurs are afraid to sell. Just the, you know, I feel like they, they feel like once they start their business that they, they try to get themselves out of the selling part of it as fast as possible. You know, like that's the dirty part of the business. And, and I generally find that they pull themselves out way too early in the startup phase. And typically 1 million and under, whoever started the business generally is the best salesperson or should be. They know the product better than anybody or why they started the business. They have the best startup story. They have the best understanding of and or the product or the service. And they want to pull themselves from it and bring in a relative or a friend to take that over because that's an inexpensive hire. And that's a very costly mistake. Mm. So, you know, selling as an entrepreneur, you're probably going to be heavily involved in it up to $10 million. Yeah, there's got to be a rule book 
and a playbook, I think, that you need to formulate from the founder out into whoever it is that you become your trusted team members. Yes. And you can train people to take your place in being in sales. But I, I see too many owners that kind of start hiding themselves in the back. You know, they're on the computer, they're doing busy work and stuff like that, but they're not doing stuff that moves the needle anymore. And I think that selling is what moves the needle. That first 10 million, it's sell, 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 sell. You know, you got to create that demand, fulfill the demand. And, and anything that doesn't sell and or fulfill is probably a waste of your time. Let me tell you about my Power Up program. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block program. Just book a chin wag. Let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. What would you say to anybody that's listening that's out the back, reliant on somebody else moving the needle, knowing that the needle isn't moving? What would you say to them if they were listening now? Your your company your company is gonna be dictated by your your energy, your involvement. If they don't think that if they feel like you've taken your eye off the ball or you've gotten lazy you're never going to keep a high level employee. Like superstars aren't going to stick around to work for somebody like that. They're either going to duplicate what it is you have and start their own business, or they're going to go work for your competitor because you know it gets, if they feel like they're doing everything and they're the brains behind the operation, the energy behind the operation, whatever that may be, that that's not a position you want to be in as a business owner. So you always, you know, they need to know that they're working for, you know, somebody with, golly, at least equal ambition, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the, the energy. Least. Yeah, it's exactly. definitely, it's definitely that energy, isn't it? That once you see that sap, it saps from all areas of the business, doesn't it? You need to have that, that energy, you know, going forth. There may be a time where you pull out, you don't need as much, but when you look at Elon Musk and you look at Richard Branson and you look at, you know, you can go all the way down the line, you know, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and just go all the way. Every one of them were their best pitchmen. They believed in the end in mind before it was even created, didn't they? Yeah. And, but they were, and even at their greatest level of wealth, they're still fanatics about what it is they, they were selling. That's a really interesting point that you make there really, Sean, as well, that a lot of entrepreneurs come in it for the money and they come in it for the lifestyle that they believe that it's going to, to lead them to. Yet the true entrepreneurs, the money, it's a byproduct, isn't it? It is. You know, we play to win the game. If you win the game, the celebration and the awards come. But it's the liking the process of training for an athletic event and loving to compete. You like that more. It's like, okay, you win. That's great. That's only a short period of celebration. And then you rinse, repeat and get back on the, you know, the training. You know, so, yeah, you have to love the process of entrepreneurship. You got to love the process of finding an idea, being able to you know, turn it into an operating business, recruit the team rinse, repeat, scale, find another one. Mm. Anybody who's watched Shark Tank understands the idea that 
why is it that people that are so you know well off or you know willing to buy a company and start the process over again because they're like addicts you know yeah. entrepreneurs are always looking for you know another product or service that people need want entertains you know or solves a problem and, and when they find something that has a nice market demand for it and good margins profit wise they're all in again it's a good addiction to have i think oh absolutely absolutely <laughs> i mean I, to hold on to one you know you start one business and you hold on to it like when you're holding a steering wheel on ice when you're driving on ice and it's the only thing you have going that that's a you know, that's not a great place to be. I think even if you have one business, which is fine, but every year you need to be looking for additional product, you know, profit streams. You need to fortify that business. You need to build a moat around that business like a castle. Yeah, it's been it's been able to stay current and relevant, isn't it, to to the marketplace. And yes, it, it may be what your industry is going to do. You know, where's yeah. what direction is your industry going? What are your customers demanding, wanting? Yeah, you have to try to be five years down the road. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the product itself changes. It's just how you talk about it. Amazon's basically doing exactly what they did 10 years ago. The only thing they've yeah. done a little bit better is, is they get it out there faster. But, you know, that, that, that's the thing they speed it up the most is the ability to get you the product. But nothing has really that I'm aware of. You can pretty much, I could almost buy anything 10 years ago. I can pretty much buy anything now. The only difference now is, is making the buying experience, like on clothing. Now you can try it for a week before yeah. you necessarily get charged on it because no people, you know, that that's smart. That didn't alter their profit stream. Any, they were doing free returns anyway. So, you know, they just kind of took the buying process and added a little, you know, a little bit of shizzle. Yeah, but they own Zappos and Zappos does a 365 day return policy. So they already had the process of returns built into the cake anyway. Yeah. So they just repackaged something they were already doing and delaying the money seven days. Like they can't afford that. I mean, that's that's like a joke, but but the business model is 99% the same. Hmm. Yeah, I think if I look back, because I'm a long time Amazon customer, 10 years ago, you could pretty much buy anything. Now you just have more pages to scroll through. So there's just yeah. way more choice. So it's perhaps brought the price point of what it is that you're looking for down. It's, it's made it a little bit more competitive, but you want to pay the best price for the best product. That's, yeah. that's what consumers are always looking for, isn't it? Yeah. And they just make it as easy as possible. I mean, they've made the buying process. You, you, no, you know, nobody has made buying easier than Amazon, in, in my opinion. I, I I literally can stand in line at a regular store, get frustrated for like five minutes because it's too long of a line, go on my phone, order it from Amazon and know it'll be Walk in my out. house tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And I've done that more times than I care to admit. Sadly, so have I. And I really like to support local businesses. Yeah. So yeah, if if you've got a long queue in your store, you're going to have to bring those queues down. <laughs> That's no, the, only, that's, the only way you're going to compete with Amazon and not moan about it. Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. 
It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week Building Block programme. Just book a chin wag. Let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. Sean, so in terms of, you know, making conversations count, clearly you do that with a lot of people and and help them get clarity on where they should be making their conversations count in business. But I think it's time for me to be asking you about the one conversation that, that maybe changed everything for you personally. Yeah, <laughs> when I lost my dream job, I was in graduate school. I was re- recently married. My wife was pregnant. And i you never want to hear these words unless you're driving a car. Sean, we're going in a different direction. <laughs> and uh. It was a complete leadership change. And, and so it ended up working out well. But that I'd never had like the entrepreneurial, the idea to start a business before that. I, I had the idea of multiple incomes based on my skill set. So yeah, I may you know work do things on Saturdays in the evenings and and make sure I'm getting paid well for those, but the idea of having a business never crossed my mind prior to that. So when I had that, when I heard that, I was like, okay, I'm never gonna work for anybody again long term. I may do something in the interim as I get my feet on the ground, but I'm definitely gonna own my own. You know, I'm gonna own my own vessel. I always say like, if I see an iceberg like the Titanic, I want to at least know I can, you know, try to turn the wheel a little bit. You know, when I heard those words, you know, we're going in a different direction. I had zero control over anything. What you have learned from that now, Sean, does that necessarily mean that you control everything? Because it's a loaded question. You can't can't control everything, but as an entrepreneur, you at least can, you know, example in 2008, when the economy took a you know, turn. If you're the owner of the company, you at least can try to do some pivots. You're not completely yeah. waiting to see if you're going to be laid off or not. You can see the level of demand for your product. You at least can make some degree of pivot. It's less of a shock, isn't it? Absolutely. And you feel like you have a touch of control. And that's either good or bad. Some people don't do really well with, you know, having to make, you know, big decisions fast. And so some people, you know, that's, that's overwhelming for them. You know, other entrepreneurs make decisions very fast and generally make, you know, 80% of them are good enough to where they can adjust it on the fly. But they, you know, they, they get out of the hot water quick. Yes, I, I would agree that it's, it's good to have an idea of where things are going and, and to have that ability to shift a gear up or down if you need to. Exactly. I just don't want to be completely dependent on other people to put this to a identify that there's a problem because some people identify it way too late. Number two, create the strategy. I'd like to at least see the strategy and have an opinion on it. So, you know, I think there's, you know, I want to be somewhere involved in that, in that process of, of identifying there's a problem, B, understanding we need a strategy, C, when are we going to start taking action, which should be immediately. Yeah. You know, we tend to, to, have a problem in any of those three. A lot of entrepreneurs have a problem with that. They don't identify a problem. They're not good at putting together strategies and then they delay on the implementation. Well, any missing any of those three is going to be a major problem. You know, it's going to cause, you know, it's going to cause some problems here. And, and I think in part, that's because we're looking for control, but then the way to get those things into place is about giving back control to somebody else, isn't it? So 
there's there's irony. You know, simply put, one person is not going to build anything of any greatness. So you're going to have to have a team. I mean, the great companies have thousands of employees, you know, what, you know, thousands and thousands of employees. So, you know, you're never going to be able to do it by yourself. No, that's true. And did you ever look back, Sean, at the company that said to you, we're going in a different direction to see where they actually ended up? Yeah, they never quite did as well as you would have thought. So (laughs) yeah, never quite worked out for the leader who took over. That's fine. I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm more than happy with the way my situation worked itself out. I like entrepreneurship and, and I'm fascinated by it. And clearly it suits you well, Sean, because... I, I like to think so. <laughs> uh, their loss, your gain, I would say. You and... know, the old thing is if a, if a you know, what is it, if a door closes, a window opens. So, there, you know, there's always yeah. that level of you got to take opportunities, good or bad, and you just got to make them work for you. Yeah. And what's the other saying about failure? You need you need lots and lots of failures, but, you know, but nobody ever fails. Yeah. I mean, failure is just a speed bump, you know, as we have in America. I don't know if they're over there, over yeah, in Australia, yeah. whatever, but it just slows you down. But yeah. it's not, it doesn't bring you, it's not a stop sign. It's not, it, you know, it, it's the, it just kind of makes you go, okay, wait, this, this, what I currently, I always say failure just provides you enough information to tell you what doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, something fails. Okay. It, something did not work. Why did it not work? And what do I have to do different going forward? That's all failure is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives you the, the, the opportunity to choose a different direction. Absolutely. Boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've had enough of it. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm immune to it at this point. Yeah. Well, Sean, it's been fascinating chatting with you about all things entrepreneurship. And I always encourage listeners to to reach out if they've got any more questions with guests. So what's where's the best place for them to yeah, find you hanging if out? You want a quick, if you want to ask me a question, it would be on Instagram. That would be the best way. Sean, that Castrina, I'm verified and you'll, you, I'm easy to find. If you like the free book, Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success, if you go to my website, seancastrina.com, you can download that for free. And uh, we don't try to sell you anything. So it's, it's, we, it's a true, it's a true gift. We, we encourage you to, to do that. And if you know, the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast is a quick podcast. If you want to learn things about entrepreneurship. Fantastic, Sean. I'm pretty sure that there'll be quite a few scurrying over to have a listen. Great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You've been, it's been great. Thank you. I can't remember a conversation where I've spoken so deeply around my own core values when it comes to helping customers make the right buying decision. Next time, we have a little Christmas gift that we want you to unwrap. We're going to be carrying on the conversation with a few guests that we've kept in close touch with. As their story has unfolded, we want to bring you the next episode. Make sure you follow and subscribe on your favourite platform of choice. And please, please, for Christmas, the only thing that I would really love is to shout out a review from 
a listener, like this one. Thank you to Beverly Densham, who lives in Paul in Dorset. And she said this, along with five stars. I've just listened to Have You Written the Perfect Book Yet? Really good with your guest, Mike Capuzzi. I have book three in my head, so I've just emailed my publisher to see if they'd like to publish it. Gave you lots of food for thought, so thank you. Well, Bev, I'm just going to quickly share with listeners that we then had a chat after that review because I was so curious to find out more and I can't wait to have you on the show when book number three hits the shelves. Now that's making conversations count. 